Hey, this is Raymond Benson, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You're listening to Rogue Agents, Episode 31, featuring The Man from UNCLE, Season 1, Episode 4. Welcome to the 31st episode of Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of the On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this episode, Agent Pat, codenamed DJ Chris Stottos. And joining me as co-agents are, we'll start with Alan J. Porter, my co-host for this episode. Alan, how are you? I am doing well, Pat. Thank you very much. What is the most 007 thing that you've done since we last recorded? Well, this might get me kicked off the podcast, but I've actually been selling off a lot of my Bond collection this last few weeks. We are moving house and we are going into a smaller house. So I have been selling off a large number of my Ian Fleming books. Jill eventually convinced me that I didn't need 14 different copies of Casino Royale. So I have actually reduced my Bond collection down to two complete Fleming runs plus a couple of books that mean very special things to me, but I've been selling off the rest. So if you want to pick up some of my James Bond cast-offs, I mean, excellent things from my collection, just uh, eBay and look up Forest Comics, which is the name of our business on eBay, and you can find some of my uh, Fleming editions and other stuff will be coming up for sale over the next couple of weeks. Very cool. Well, sounds like you're kind of downsizing there. So getting a little smaller bungalow or, or something like that that you're moving into. Well, not quite a bungalow, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm starting to think of James Bondy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but a, uh, a flat. Or, I don't yeah. know. We don't have a, a new house picked out yet, but okay. we're aiming to go somewhere a little smaller. So yeah. Best of luck and uh, hope your sales go well. And maybe you can give some tips to Agent Death Probe, Jared. Because I hear he's starting to get a big collection of VHS tapes that he's got doubles of and triples of and all that. So maybe you can teach him what to do. He's such a novice on eBay. I thought I might be able to give him a couple of tips on how to sell stuff on eBay. <laughs> you may be able to do that. Speaking of Jared, Jared, how are you and what is the most Bondian thing you've been doing? Well, Pat, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. As far as Bondian things, I've had kind of two things happen since last time. One was just today, and I did a live stream of it over on our Longbox Crusade YouTube channel. I found this guy. It, it's not Alan, so don't. there's no joke coming. I found this guy oh, on boy. eBay. <laughs> Maybe it was. I don't know. And he was selling, like, the listing was, like, James Bond stuff. Like, that, that was the listing. And it was, like, two of the action figures from the Dr. No ones they did back in, like, 97, 98. The movie special Octopussy, which we covered on this program the comic book, the Marvel comic movie special Octopussy. It was number one of the free your eyes only regular size comic book from Marvel and like six or seven videotapes and that paperback book that I sent a picture to you today, Alan, I think it was called for bond lovers only or something like that. 
That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I got all that stuff in a bundle for like 20 or 25 bucks. <laughs> this guy all showed up today and did a, I did an unboxing uh, live stream. So that was fun. The other thing was much more subtle, but I it gave me a, a big sense of personal pride. I was watching this movie and I'm going to remember what it's called here in a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. It starred Anthony Perkins and it was called Pretty Poison. I almost, almost certain it was called Pretty Poison. And in this movie, this girl drives around in this interesting looking blue convertible. And the person I was watching the movie with was like, oh, that's a neat looking car. What is that? And I was like, Sunbeam Alpine. I just knew it was Sunbeam Alpine. And the only reason I knew it was a Sunbeam Alpine I was pretty much hanging out with Alan, going to the Bond and Motion exhibit. It was the same color and everything as the Dr. No Sunbeam Alpine. So that made me feel good to identify the car quickly like that. So those have been my exciting Bond things over the last couple of weeks. Wow, very cool. A little nugget trapped away in your brain just got boom. loose and just came, boom, came right out there. And Absolutely. I am trading you well, Padawan. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and go into Agent Dark Web. How are you doing, Delvin? And what is the most bondiest thing that you've done? Pat, I am doing great. I appreciate you asking. And not too much bonding. And um, I think it was just literally yesterday I, I got into a, a argument with someone on the internet about uh, James Bond stuff. Though, of which I should advise any and everyone don't get into arguments with anyone on the internet. It is not time well spent. Just so we could say that then. And then I, and I'll finish with like Ed Brinkley, like editorial. Find something that you enjoy. If, if you say that you're an aficionado about James Bond, like, like James Bond stuff. It's just a good thing. Like, don't be the edgy guy that goes online and thinks that you're doing something by saying, oh, this creation that I so dearly love sucks. Like, really? How, how edgy are you doing that? Like, what are you proving? So now it's not a good time to talk about Millennial Q is what you're probably, what you're probably not. All right. Going back on mute. Unless you want to talk about Millennial Q. Oh, no, here we go. Five minutes. <laughs> <Bonus> <laughs> content. I couldn't help it. He was, he was sitting there looking all doe-eyed, and I'm like, oh, come on. Why did <laughs> he up? He's like, Jason hungry. He's chasing the bone. Thus <laughs> <laughs> end of my, my rant. Just love and appreciate Bond. Bond's pretty dang cool. The end. I second that, Delvin. Love and appreciate Bond or whatever pop culture or thing that you're into, hobby, whatever. Love it and enjoy it and let others love it their own way as well. Thing in common is you both love it. Speaking about Mr. Love, let's go ahead and talk to Jason, the Weasel Skull. Agent Weasel Skull, Jason, how are you? And what is the most bondiest thing that you've been doing? I'm pretty good, Pat. I went to my local branch of Sotheby's because some of Alan Porter's bond books were going on auction there. So I went and I, what I did was I took the flyer, right? And I did the beckon thing so I could see the item. And I said, I took the bond item off, went under the flyer. And then what came back up was a Jason Bourne book that I put on the thing, right? I got busted. Clumsy effort, Mr. Bond. You disappoint me. But it was fun. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, anybody that's been in my house knows I got a bunch of James Bond movie posters hanging up in my living room. I'm like a 52-year-old bachelor, so I get to do that. And I said, I need more Bond. And I kept looking at this print of 
all the James Bond actors sitting around a card table and uh, like they're all sitting together. And I said, that's got to go up either above my television or above my fireplace. So I bought it. I'm waiting for it. Can't decide where I'm going to put it, but I'm looking forward to that. Very interesting. Sounds cool. What game were they playing? Well, it looked like they were sitting around a poker table, but you know, it's Bond, so it's probably like Shemmy or Baccarat. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. We'll see if you came back with it. Go fish. (laughs) Old maid. Uno. (laughs) You didn't say Uno. (laughs) Draw four. (laughs) Because you're a four. (laughs) I'm looking at you, lazy bee. (laughs) Well, that would be a fun game to be around watching, listening to those old guys. Anyway, before we go any further, I to talk about the Bondiest thing that I've been doing, I did some Bond kind of investigation and some, some stuff. I got some Bond jokes for you guys. So I'm going to give you one of the jokes if you're ready for it. And I don't see think if we're ready, guys... but we're going to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably not ready for it. But, you know, these are just Bond jokes that I, I found. So I will be providing those throughout the episodes that we do now and one of them is is what do you call it when james bond goes on a blind date any takers is the, you're all does, thinking does the punchline have anything to do with for your eyes only no all right then i'm out anybody else care to make a guess license to thrill Ooh. thank you thank you i'm here for the rest of the episode so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry uncle after uh, after that joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's better. Oh. I was about to be like, can we get a Felix Leiter update or something to save me? <laughs> <laughs> well, Delvin, that is perfect because that gives us a great segue into this episode, which is the 31st episode of the ongoing series of MI6 Rogue Agents, where we'll be traversing the 007 universe. That could mean books. That could mean music. That could mean video games. Essentially, any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here on On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And speaking about that, we're going to be covering Man from Uncle Season 1, Episode 4. But before we do that, let me give you some information about Episode 4. Episode 4 was titled The Shark Affair. The air date was October 13th, 1964. The writer is Elvin Sappenley. Director is Mark Daniels. Assistant director is E. Daryl Hallenbeck. Editor was Fred McGuire. Music is Walter Scharf. Set director is Jerry Wunderlich. The cast, we have Napoleon Solo is Robert Vaughn. Ilya Kuryakin, David McCollum. Alexander Waverly is Leo Carroll. Captain Shark is Robert Culp. Elsa Barnham is Sue Ann Langdon. Harry Barnham is Herbert Anderson. And with that, let's go ahead and get a plot summary from Alan. Well, thank you, Pat. As you mentioned, this episode was called The Shark Affair. After ships from six different nations are hijacked at sea by a mysterious ship flying the Jolly Roger flag, Uncle is called in and Waverly assigns the case to Napoleon Solo. 
Meanwhile, Ilya Kuryakin is investigating the disappearance of trade specialists all over the world after they have answered a series of strange newspaper advertisements. The latest victim is Harry Barnum, a librarian from New York. They eventually realize they are working the same case, and Waverly comes up with a plan to get his agents on board the pirate ship. The captain of the ship, Captain Shark, has renounced his nationality and believes that a nuclear holocaust is imminent, so is collecting various artisans and tradespeople on board his own modern ark so they can rebuild civilization. In order to convince the passengers that they are being held against their will and need to leave the ship, Solo forces Shark into a confrontation and then blows a hole in the ship, sinking it. Thank you, Alan, for that synopsis on episode four. Now let's go ahead and find out, is it a first watch or a rewatch? We'll start with Jason. First watch for me. Delvin. Also a first watch for me, Pat. Jared. First watch for me. It's a first watch for me as well. Alan, do you know what that means? I'm the odd man out. It's a multiple <laughs> rewatch for me. <laughs> I, think that, I think going forward as we do it, if all four of us haven't watched it, we can call it a watching rainbow. Or yeah, we have to find a man from that Alan hasn't watched. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Since impossible. he wrote a book, we're working on a book tomorrow. You know, it's a mission right. impossible to find a man from Uncle that he hasn't watched. <laughs> uh, that's why we have him with us as my co-host, because he's the expert on this one. And I couldn't do it without him. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to some high lows or what does for this episode. And we'll start with Delvin. Do you got a high low or what the for the man from Uncle? Let's start with a high. And I believe that it was the end of the first act. I could be wrong. All of the acts ended well, but like the first act ended very well where you've got this boat and then all of a sudden these pirates are boarding the boat and they're like, all right, yep. And we're going to evacuate you guys and we're going to burn your boat. And it's like, but you know, I have one important question. Can anybody tune a piano? <laughs> and the guy, just, <laughs> the guy just faints like what in the hell? are you talking about right now? It was such an intriguing way to start the show. It was a great hook because it's like, they just went through a lot of trouble to find someone that's going to be able to tune a piano. Why is this happening? So I appreciated the hook from the start. It got me immediately interested. Very good catch there, Delvin. That was, it was a funny sequence that was going on there, Uh, but it it did pull you in like, well, why do they need this? Mm Mm-hmm. Jason, do you got a high low or what the? I'm going to give a high to the quote unquote villain, Captain Shark, in this one. Number one, Robert Culp is just a darn fine actor. I've known him back from the greatest American hero. To see him play kind of the heavy in this one was interesting. And he played it so well. He was so cool and calculating. He was villainous without being unnecessarily cruel. There was just something about him, like all good villains, something that really spoke to you where you could kind of see his point of view, if not agree with it. And I think Napoleon kind of felt that way. And at the end, you it's tragic that he dies. Obviously he'd kind of sort of lost his, his mind, but you can also understand through the lens of the time, this height of the cold war where people were on a knife's edge. And this man had been a world war two destroyer captain and veteran. So It's just there were a lot of admirable qualities and his reasoning for what he was doing. I wouldn't say 
made sense, but kind of made sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it, it, it does. What started to pull me in even more is when he, he started calling it the Ark. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I think I know what he's doing now. You know, he's getting the people in that he needs for some sort of a repopulating yeah. the earth or, or whatever would may happen at that time. So very cool. And, and I do agree that that Robert Culp, when I saw him, I'm like, man, this guy's voice sounds familiar because he's so young and younger looking. In right. Show. Yeah. 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 He was, he looked good. He sounded good. The acting was great. And man, he had me thinking at the end of the show. Yeah. I think he was really the standout piece for me. Very good. Can I just pick up on what you were saying about thinking? I know I'm jumping my turn here, but as you sort of mentioned it, Jason, for me, one of the things coming out of this episode was, was Uncle in the right here? Who was in the right and who was in the wrong? Because Captain Shark's methods could be questionable, but as you said, he had a very clear vision of what he was trying to do. And then when you get to the end, when Harry was like, well, I was doing a job I liked and I didn't have to worry about bills. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Coming out of the whole episode on on the surface, it's a very seems to be a very simple. Oh, you know, pirate guy doing kidnapping people—that's wrong. Blah blah blah. But you come out of it thinking, well, who was right and who was wrong here? Was Solo wrong to blow up the ship just to get people away from an environment where they were actually most of them were comfortable? No, Solo wasn't wrong. They were going across the world blowing up ships. That's that's not right. I'm not like, saying his message or ideology was right, but what he was thinking about was. There could have been something in the middle. There could have been a better way of resolving it than resorting to blowing up his ship, I thought. I will say this. A lot of times, like, let's take the movie Black Panther, for instance, right? And people left the movie Black Panther saying Killmonger's kind of cool. But in what they do in movies and in TV shows, a lot of times is they're going to do some measure where the bad guy goes over the top so they can literally point to it and say, hey, hey. This is why he's a bad guy. And that would be the reason why uh, Captain Shark would be the bad guy is because he didn't really he didn't really kidnap anyone. He kind of did a little bit sometimes. So there's the part kidnapping and then there was the part where he kept blowing up ships and stuff where no one felt safe. And that would be the reason why an international crew might even want to intervene in that in the first place. But that was the over the top thing to me. Alan, was that they were blowing up other people's property and other countries' property, and they were kidnapping a few people to include that. Yeah, I'm not saying his methodology was right. His methodology was wrong, but he had a definite viewpoint. And I thought that Uncle completely undermined his viewpoint at the end in a very short and violent way without actually trying to find some sort of common ground. Like I said, I think it started out a very black and white story, and I think by the time he got to the end of it, there was definite shades of gray as to who was doing, how they were reacting together. Anyway, that's what I came out. It just picked up on what, what Jason no, was saying. Very, very good side to look at as well, too. A uh, uh, good conversation there. Was Uncle in the wrong for blowing up his ship? What he was doing to others, they just did back to him? Yeah. It's a reasonable question, I think. How did he get his supplies? Because he said he had you know, all that ammunition, he had all this other stuff. Well, he got his supplies off those ships that he, stu- that he stopped. Yeah, and, that yeah. he stole, so he was stealing. He was stealing to fund his, his, his vision, his, yeah. So which yeah. Is not, was not right, but yeah. Because mutiny on the bounty is what it's all about. It's all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to White Castle, then I got thrown out. <laughs> all right, see what happened there. We, we talked too long. We got Jason off-side off tracked here. So, Jared. I mean, all discussion makes me really wish I'd watched this. So 
It mm-hmm. sounds you cool. One. You missed one. <laughs> it sounds cool. All right. So my first round thing was to be exactly what Jason picked up, which was Robert Culp. He's the man. If you want some more awesome Robert Culp, Jason reference, Grace American Hero. If you're into this, check out I Spy. Definitely look into every one of his appearances on Columbo. Is great. So yeah, get you some Culp wherever you can find it. Become very culpable. On, uh, Pat, don't wrote. step. Don't step on my puns. Become very culpable if you will. <laughs> Become a culprit. What were you saying, Pat? I think he was on Murder She Wrote too. I've seen him. Yes, she, he's been on a couple episodes of Murder She Wrote. Verified. Anyway, he's awesome. But what I want to do for my round is to think of the drama masks of comedy and tragedy. Because I think both of those were done really well here. There's a couple of times where I laughed out loud. Probably my favorite line was when Ilya told that lady, you know what? Help him. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was really great. There was more than one laugh out loud moment for me. Let's flip that to the tragedy. May I dang near started tearing up at the scene at the end with the with his first officer who really yeah. believed in them yeah. and th- what they were doing, and he didn't want to leave him behind. Oh man, it was like touching. That was just good performances, yeah. man. Yeah, it's hard to see that that level of inspiration and think that this guy's evil. I mean, that's yeah. it, it, that. Then again, he he <laughs> beat Napoleon Solo upside his back ten times. Yeah. Yeah, he asked true. for it. His mouth popped off. You know what? He likes to have dedication. He demands respect. With that, then let's go ahead. Go to Delvin. He's been popping in here and there, but uh, let's get Delvin's take on a high, lower, what the? Uh, another high. Sue. Sue was <laughs> Sue. Was, Sue was a treat. <laughs> Sometimes she was over the top. A lot of times she was very useful. Uh, she was. Very opinionated when it came to not only matters of, you know, her mom and her husband, also like whether or not she wanted to be on that ship. She did not. But she did go because she wanted to make sure that she was um, with a man. And and that was admirable too. everything. Pretty much everything she did was pretty admirable and or funny because Jared mentioned the first time about when Ilya was like, you know what? Help the bad guy. Don't don't help me. And then. They continued it on the ship where Ilya was about to ambush the person and the door flings open yeah. and hits him in the face. And without even looking, he was like, yeah, that's Sue, everybody. <laughs> like, her, her whole arc was was very useful and, and made for um, yet another enjoyable element of the show, of the series. Alan, do you have a high-low or what the? Yeah, I actually... I think we sort of picked up on it a bit, but I love the dialogue in this episode. Uh, the stuff with, you say, Ilya and Sue, um, the jokes about, you know, when Napoleon pulls out his communicator and she's like, do they cost a lot? And he's like, no, they're cheap. They get made in Japan, all that. But for me, it was the snark from Alexander Waverley, the little snarky bits from Alexander Waverley, really added a lot of character to Waverley's mm. thing, particularly when he sort of walked into the briefing room and the two of them sat there having an after-work martini. And he's like, you know, I wish I had the time to do that, or I, you know, I can't do my job and your job. Just a little snarky remarks, I thought was was great. And then, of course, when they end up basically dropping them on a raft in the middle of the ocean to start the, the mission, and they're complaining about, did he do this on purpose? Uh, you know, um, <laughs> kind of yeah. M like, you know, yeah, like yeah. an M and Bond kind of conversation. But, but there was a lot, a little really 
smart little bits of dialogue throughout this episode that I really liked that, again, as you quite rightly said, some of it just made me laugh out loud and then some of it was deeply emotional stuff. So, yeah, I thought it was, it was, it was really well written from a dialogue perspective. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. Um, Jared mentioned some fun parts and you guys covered a couple of them. I just found it funny that in the beginning and later on too, that there's Ilya is just sits down, starts eating, having like casual dinner. That's when I started busting out laughing real hard. I'm like, and Napoleon's like, I- I'm just going to have some tea or, or something like that. And Ilya's just going to town on the soup and all that that was made. And I'm like, yeah, I could see myself doing that too. That was very funny. I like that part. Jason, do you have a high-low or what the, as we go into round two? Well, Alan covered what I was going to say about Waverly. I would like to focus a little more on that bar, man. They have like a bar in the office. This is a good gig. I want that. You know, at, at about three o'clock, I could use a good gin and tonic. I don't know about you guys, but I just thought that was so cool, man. It's It kind of gives their headquarters like this clubhouse vibe. I don't know. Every time mm-hmm. I see it. They got cool little toys. They got the little spinny, spinny table thing so he can like spin the plans over to Napoleon. Napoleon yeah, that table was cool. There's no Remind me of the, what they call that, the Lazy Susan you would put on. Right. We had that like on the dinner table, a small one, so he can just kind of spin that around and with whatever, you know, food for supper it was there and you just kind of spin that around and pass that around. Yeah, it's just cool. I mean, it's, it, it looks cool. The moment they walk into that tailor shop and old boy just, it's a little code, and then they're inside. It's a whole different world. It's lots of fun. I like yeah. that headquarters. I would love to. Man, I want to get some man from Uncle action figures and places with the headquarters. That would be so much fun. <laughs> Did they make them, Alan? Do you know or anybody know? Did they make any? Yeah, there was quite up? a there was quite a lot of merchandise around the time. Not much in terms of action figures. There was sort of the GI Joe, the, the original GI Joe size, like okay. doll, doll the twelve inch, twelve inch dolls. Yeah, but ah. yeah. Mainly the weapons, actually. The Uncle Gun, uh, there was a lot of... You could get, like, an Uncle suitcase with the radio and stuff oh, like some that. some gadgets in it. The gadgets and stuff, yeah. Oh. It would be kind of cool to have, like, you know, little toy gadgets kind of sitting around. Uh, that'd be kind of fun. We'll go to Jarrett. High, low, or what the... Uh, the highs are going to keep flowing on this one. Really enjoyed this episode. I, I really enjoy the... I was about to say Roger Moore-esque unflappability of Robert Vaughn, but this you know, predates Roger Moore's James Bond. So I got to give it up for Robert Vaughn. Just like the scene where he had the two boots in his face and he's about to get whipped. And he was just yeah. like, buckle that's my harsh. shoe, you know, <laughs> like he, and even after the whipping, he was unflappable and charismatic. He is just an absolute joy to watch on screen. Like I, I knew I liked Robert Vaughn and I've seen him play bad guys before too, but I just knew I liked him. And just the more I watched the show, the more I like him even more. He's just really good. So I yeah. just can't say enough about how well Robert Vaughn carries the show. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Definitely. And it feels like Ilya's coming into his own thing as well, too. Delvin, did you have something to add? It was just more of a compliment. I hear here to what Jared said. Yeah. It, he's so effortlessly charming. And when he needs to turn it on, like it's great acting because like his emotional range, he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. And I think that's on purpose. But when he needs to convey like humor, he does it well and with a with a wry smile. And when he needs to convey a threat, like when he told Captain Shark, he's like, "Oh no, yeah, 
this will be the last time that you do that. And it was like, oh, oh, my. Oh, my God. Mm, You knew exactly what he meant. Like, oh, yeah, you you're never putting a whip to my back again. No, sir. (laughs) Ain't no way. So it was. Yeah, I I just just uh, kudos to what Jared said. I absolutely agree. It, It has been a delight watching him act and play this role because I've been nothing but entertained. Like just the entire mm-hmm. time watching the series so far. Do you have any additional high, low, or what that you wanted to do? The only thing that I wanted to add was uh, maybe it's just me, Moonraker. This this reminds you just a little bit of Moonraker, where they were building like this paradise mm. that were was only going to be meant for a few people, but in the case of Moonraker, it sort of wound up crashing the earth and blowing up. And in the case of uh, this big huge ship that was going to just be able to survive a nuclear winter, basically that the guy had plans and stuff for that. And that part of it, I just like, I don't want to be so black and white, you know, with, with Alan's comments and Jason's to say that I didn't understand. Cause I did understand the man going down with this ship that he was committed. That's a, that's a good word for it. He was so committed to what he had built that he was like, I don't see any other way. I am not going on with this earth the way that it is right now. I'm just going down with my ship. It was definitely, it definitely made him a complete character. The whole thing, just tying it, it into James Bond universe reminded me of Moonraker somewhat. What do you think then about Napoleon actually letting him go down with it? I mean, the guy did whip him, but yet it seemed like Napoleon did have some still some compassion for him. To go, okay, I understand. I would say Napoleon agreed with Alan and Jason, right? Like, yeah, I had a job to do. Yes, I was told to take care of it. Yes, I can also understand that this was your life's work. You were completely disenfranchised by arguably the biggest war that this world will ever know and how it ended. And these are the actions that you took as a result of it. Napoleon at least understood all of that. And so that gave Napoleon a little bit of humanity. I mean, Napoleon didn't bluff, right? He's like, no, I I put a bomb in the engine room. Everybody needs to leave. I am not bluffing. But he could have just left. That was his job. Job is done. And he didn't. Instead, he came back. He knew where the captain was. He knew the captain had a gun. The captain could have just been vindictive and wanted to blow him away, and he didn't. And, I mean, so Napoleon showed a ton of bravery and humanity by going back to that scene and saying, look, I I, I did what I had to do. This was my job, but I don't want you to die, man. Come with me. So kudos. I think it also bears note that when he goes three, four, close the door, that really shows the range you were talking about, Delvin, because when he says the one two buckle my shoe, it said like with a bit of humor and defiance, like you're not going to break me here. And at the end, when he says the three, four, close the door, he says it with great sadness in his voice. Yeah, the, the inflection or re- in his voice like that, you could definitely tell he was like, OK, I get it. I'm out. Alan, do you have a high, low or what the? More of an observation. I don't know if anybody else spotted it, but during the first attack scene when they're blowing up the first ship and you have the officers on the deck and there's they're all ducking. I don't know if you noticed the guy on the engine telegraph and the bridge, but he actually doesn't move or flinch. He's just staring around like, what? What? Yeah. He's, 
the extra who was playing that thing either didn't get the cue or something, but he literally does not move while everybody else around him is diving and ducking for cover. And I, I watched it like three times over the last week prepping for this, and I just couldn't take my eyes off him because it's like, is he going to move? Is he going to move? And he does. He's countdown, Jerry. He is. Oh, He's yeah. just yeah. Next yeah. to his job. I've got one job to do. It's to move this lever, and I'm going to stand here and do it. Yeah. So, yeah. His lever, Larry. His lever, Larry. Yeah. His countdown, Jerry. And I, I will say, actually, as, as my first job out of school was actually as an engineer on board uh, merchant ships. I was in the merchant marine. That was no ship's engine room they were running around. I'll tell you that. It didn't look anything <laughs> like a ship's engine room. But uh. well, That's what Jared and my grandfather did. Yeah. The engineer in the Merchant Marines. Yep. Where do you where do you think they w- was? Was it like some? Oh, it's just like, some sort of factory basement. It's factory basement. You generate a yeah, generate yeah. a plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought too. But it, yeah, it, it made you it made you feel like it was. Hey, it wasn't the Budweiser factory like on the Enterprise. So um, <laughs> you know, in the in the yeah, more recent movies, but yeah, it, it was definitely not on, not a ship's engine room. My big what the for this was how does Brandy. Wake someone up. Delvin mentioned the guy passed out and he goes, well, you better give him some brandy. I'm like, is it the smell or something like that? I mean, I, it's always something that I've heard more. I've thought like brandy or whiskey was something you would do. Like if he got shot and then you, man, you've seen elbow. Watson brandy cures everything. Yeah. I've been shot. Give him some brandy. brandy. I got well, cancer. Give him some brandy. brandy. So you open him up his mouth while he's not out and you just make him do a shot. Yeah, just have him do a shot. He'll be fine. He'll he'll wake up. Everything. This is Pat's great. way of saying he's been doing a shot of brandy every morning since he saw this. <laughs> and now he wants his medical doctor. Yeah, instead of you know, you don't need to do the five hour energy drinks and just do a shot of brandy and you're good to go. <laughs> you're up and working all the time. I, I just thought you know it's something that you've heard you know from long ago in, in back in those days. And is there any truth to really that? Is that something that really does work? That's what I wanted to know. But it seems like I'm getting nobody knows it. And they're all just, oh, Pat, you're so, you're so dupable, Pat. Anyway. That's actually a really good question, Pat. And I've never really thought about it. I just sort of assumed, I don't know if it was the fumes or something, <laughs> but I, the, the way he said it was with such authority. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get him some brandy. Yeah. yeah. I, all right. The only <laughs> thing you can, the only what thing do you do can do, get him some brandy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, with that great discussion out of the way, let's go ahead and get to some fun facts from Agent Allen. The Shark Affair was not the original title for this episode. Um, The original titles were The Corsair Affair, The Private Affair, or The Pirate Affair. So was the original titles. Not quite sure where the private affair fits in. The other two I can see, but anyway. Well, I uh, can see private as being because he was collecting a private group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. yeah. yeah, Or maybe a play on the old privateer term. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. We've, we've mentioned Robert Culp a few times uh, as uh, he's been mentioned, perhaps best known for the I Spy TV series, which I think started the year after this episode. Uh, this was 64. I think I Spy started in 65. Culp was just 34 years old when this episode was filmed, but you can actually tell they sort of grayed up his hair and his temples and stuff. To, but he had, an we talked about it, an amazing air of authority for somebody who was just 34 in this role. The acting was brilliant across the board, but he was an absolute standout. I think uniquely we actually find out 
the villain's real name right at the end in a sort of postscript code of by where Solo actually talks about his backstory. Normally in these, the villain actually talks about his story or you, you get it in a briefing at the beginning, but here his name was Arthur Fernley Selwyn. And uh, as uh, I think Jared mentioned, he'd been a captain on a destroyer and stuff. And we get all that right at the very end after he's actually already gone down with his ship. So I thought that was interesting. I think this is unique in the fact that they actually did that. To please Jared, of course, uh, the first mate on the original ship, the one who's told to go get the brandy, is, of course, Jimmy Doohan, James Doohan, better known as Scotty in Star Trek. And there will be some more familiar Star Trek faces coming along in future episodes of The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Um, this was the only script, Uncle script, by Alvin Sapinsley, however you say his name. And as we mentioned, it's got some really nice zingers in the dialogue here. But uh, his career seemed to mainly to do one or two episodes for a lot of action-adventure TV shows of the 60s and 70s, pretty much any action-adventure TV show. If you look through, you can see he's done one or two episodes, with the exception of Hawaii Five-0, for which he actually wrote 12 episodes. He seemed to have been associated with that show for, for quite a while. Some extracts from the score from this episode are actually going to be reused in future Uncle episodes. And we mentioned a couple of times the titles of Acts 3 and 4. Act 3 was 1, 2, Buckle My Shoe. Though I noticed the, card, the act card said 1, 2, Button My Shoe, but Solo said 1, 2, Buckle My Shoe. And 4, 3, 4, Knock on the Door. They're from an old English nursery rhyme, which was first noted in a book called The Songs for the Nursery, published in London in 1805. But actually, the actual song dates back to the mid-1700s as far as we know. So that's it for the, the fun facts from this one. Did that cover what you were going to talk about, Jared? Satisfactory. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> High praise. Always interesting and fun facts that you bring, Alan. Very cool things. And I, you know what? I didn't even notice Scotty. So shame on me. I should have noticed it. All right, so I watched this movie with uh, the Irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water Network. Well, watched this TV show. I was at his place for a con, and we watched it together. And we both sat there going, I know that guy from somewhere. <laughs> I know that guy from somewhere. I know that guy from somewhere. Driving me nuts. And I think full points to Shag, because I think he was like, I think it's Scotty. <laughs> and once he said it, you can see it. Uh, and I think his name was actually in the in the credits. I think it was in the end credits. He wasn't a guest star, but he was actually listed in the end yeah, credits. Yeah, in the end so. credits. So, yeah. So yeah. I have to give the full respect to Shag for making the call. Well, there you go. When when you when you both were, you know, thinking about it, you know, I was like, I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. <laughs> it's exactly I that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's probably the best impression you're ever gonna get from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh what would it sound like if it was Christopher Walken saying that? Oh, she's she's breaking a pot. <laughs> Can't push him no more. <laughs> and if Sean Connery was captain, he'd be like, break it apart then. <laughs> oh, oh Pat, why do you wind this I up like the button. I know, I know, I, I know. Buttons. I pushed the button. I pushed the button there. All right. Well, you it's fun just, facts, and we're having fun. It just occurred to me another thing that Shag pointed out that he's totally right on, and I, I'm wondering if one of you guys caught it. There was a point where they were in, like, the formal dinner, and things are starting to get heated. Okay. The first officer tosses a gun to him casually. He catches yeah. that thing so smooth. 
like a Jackie Chan style. Oh like, man, yeah, completely he was in stride. I was like, first take, first. Take. Yeah, yeah. Was that like, was my thing. Was how many takes did when I was watching it? It was like how many gosh. takes did it get to do that catch? Because it was, as you said, so smooth. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, kudos again to Shaq because he was like, "Did you see that?" And I was like, "Yeah." Tossed him a gun. He's like, "No, watch how smoothly he catches it." And he, man, it was good. Definitely a lot of good points in this one. It was different than the other three that we've watched, but I think in a good way. You and we're going to find this, out. You know, this is episode four, so they're still kind of yeah. F- yeah figuring out f- what works best. Got and- their seed legs. They're still trying to get their seed legs back together. Again, you know? <laughs> Spoiler on my score. I think this works best. I'm quite taken with this episode. Mm. Okay, well, let's go ahead and find out then. How would you rate this episode of Man from Uncle, episode four? As a reminder, the rating for our system here is a one through seven. Seven is you loved it. It shook your martini. Six is excellent. Five, very good. Four, it's good. It's average. Three, just okay. It was not good. It sunk your battleship. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini. Ooh, with a dirty finger in it. Jared, you mentioned what your score would be. Go Mm. ahead and set the bar for everybody. Oh, I'm going to set that bar. I'm going to set that bar before I do one more observation. I get the feeling that Ilya and Napoleon play a game together like an office game, like a game just between the two of them. They're like, mm-hmm. let's refer to it as UNCLE until someone calls us on it. All right. <laughs> let's spell it out until somebody calls us on it. So anyway, I'm giving this episode the U, the N, the C, the L, the E, and two extra letters because I'm going with the seven. I thoroughly charm. Wow. I want more of this. All right. You were definitely in love with it. it. You were sipping that martini right along with them and enjoying it. All right, the bar is set super high on this one, guys. So we'll go to Jason, one through seven. I can't quite go as high as a seven on this one. It had a lot of stuff that I liked, and I would like more of this. It was lacking a little bit in the spectacle. I like a little bit more action. You know, the comic running up and down the ladders got a little yeah, bit more the- You know, I wanted a little more than that, but. Other than that, Jared's spot on. I mean, there's a there's a lot to like. I, I like the direction they're going with Waverly. It looks like, as you said, Pat, Ilya's getting a little bit more to do. I don't think they're quite there yet chemistry-wise, but they're getting close. So six for me. All right. That's understandable. I think I will join you at a six as well. There was something that I was kind of lacking. I mentioned it. It was something was off, but I couldn't really put it on what it was but it was still enjoyable and i think again talking with you guys about it it helps me understand some other parts of it so it definitely bumped me up to a six alan where are you at a one through seven seeing this multiple times as much as i talked high points of this i actually do have an issue with this episode and i found the pacing really off that it was a story in two halves act one and act two was very New York centric, Uncle Headquarters centric. Not a lot of action, a lot of talking heads. As Jason said, the chemistry is still not quite there between Napoleon and Ilya. Maybe more because I know what's coming. So you sort of had the two halves and then you got to the action at the end. I, I would have preferred they would have got to the story, the main story quicker and really properly examined that sort of dynamic that we were talking about earlier about. Maybe they've got some empathy for what Sean's mm-hmm. trying to do and how do we resolve this? 
in a sort of a more peaceful way or or a more even-handed way. I didn't like this one as much as I've liked the previous three, so this mainly due to that pacing problem. So I, it's a five from me. Okay, so Jared is at the top floor. Alan has lowered the bar to a five. Jason and I are in the middle. It's just up to Delvin. I give it a six. It was really, really good. The Sue character was great. I do like, even if there's better chemistry to come between Ilya and Napoleon, then great. I can't wait to see it because I thought that both of them had a pretty friendly back and forth. Ilya has grown to be so far, like I I was kind of like worried that he was going to be the bumbling guy. And thankfully, Mm -hmm. no, that's not the case. Uh, Matter of fact, he really had the big clue that cracked this whole thing open, uh, which was cool. Napoleon is unflappable and he's been awesome. He's been really fun to get to know. Uh, Waverly was great, too, because there were plenty of times where he was acting just like him, where it's just like, okay, yep, all right, uh, I'm the boss. I got a lot of stuff on my plate, so I'm giving this to you now. This is your work now, so I'll let you get to your work, (laughs) and I get back to mine. So lots of great elements throughout, highly enjoyable. So can't wait to see uh, episode five. All right, very good. So that puts us one seven, three sixes. And a five, I think that would say this is not a skippable episode. So if you're kind of following along with us, the last four from one to four, definitely not skippable. So we'll see if the streak continues or not. But for now, it's definitely getting some good praise from the rogue agents. And with that, it is a show. If you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. And we do. We want to hear from you. We like the interactions, the comments, the fun. Come and love Bond as we love Bond. Also, wherever you are listening to this, please give us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. If you left a review for the show, it'll help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. W6N, 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 calling G7W. How do you hear me? Over. We got an email response to when we covered the Octopussy comic book, and it kind of sparked up some ideas from a listener named John Bucci. He sent us an email called Spy Movie Comic Book Crossover Movie. And he, he writes. Let's open that trapper keeper in our heads that stores our memories of the 80s when schools held scholastic book fairs to get us to read. I bought a book that was a movie adaptation that may have even been my gateway to Bond, even though I didn't know at the time. It was an adaptation of a 1981 Disney movie called Condor Man. It stole from Bond, and years later, Bond stole from it. It's about a comic book artist named Woody who tests all of his superheroes' gadgets to make sure they work before putting them into his comic books. Condor Man, kind of a copy of Batman. The opening scene was him testing Condor Man's wings by jumping off the Eiffel Tower. The plot of the movie is the classic, all the CIA agents have been burned, 
scenario, and Woody's CIA buddy asks him to, wait for it, take a train to Istanbul to exchange papers with a KGP agent. Well, he's really liking some Condor Man to, to James Bond here. He continues, he ends up designing gadgets for himself, he's Bond, and his own cue. Here's what's important. Comic book artist becomes spy. It stars a Bond girl, Barbara Carrera. Spy car with gadgets, car chase, spy boat with gadgets, boat chase, jumping off the Eiffel Tower. Comic book artist becomes spy. Did I mention that? <laughs> At the time, I thought this was a legitimate way to become a spy. <laughs> I also may have overlooked the fact that I have no artistic skills and could never draw a comic book. But as a kid, Disney gave me the dream path to becoming a spy. Plus, my parents let me watch this movie years before I was allowed to watch Bond movies so I didn't get all the references until later. It is a Disney movie. It was the 80s. It was a lot cooler when my age only consisted of a single number. Still, nostalgia. Well, thank you, John, for sending in your thoughts on comic books and James Bond, and I'm glad that our Octopussy episode could spark that for you. And uh, if you want to be like John and send something in, like Pat said, contact OHMSPod at Outlook.com. Or, of course, you can hit us up at Twitter at OHMSPod. I want to thank Alan, Jason, Delvin, and Jarrett for joining me on this episode. But before we go, let's go ahead and find out where the listeners can find us on the Internet. Alan, where can they find you? For James Bond-related stuff, you can find me on Twitter at BondLexicon. If you're migrating to some of the new platforms i'm on most of the new social media platforms at alan j porter and you can find all the links to where i am around the web on my website at alanjporter.com jason you can find me at jason albrick on instagram and i'm playing around at jason albrick on the new thread jared where can they find you pat i'm on all the traditional platforms I'm at Yard Sale Artist on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm not setting those trends. I'm dug into the trenches. <laughs> you can find my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Delvin, where can you be found? You can find me on Twitter, D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977 and Instagram, Delvin Ray. Like I, I, I'm about to start that other new stuff, I think, but I, I've been too lazy to do it. So you can, see, <laughs> you can still find me at those old places. And you can also find me with Jarrett hanging out in the OG places out there in the, the web sphere. I'm at Twitter at Christatos01. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you enjoy this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Lombox Crusade. Jared, where can that be found? Well, Pat, I'm glad you asked. Lombox Crusade is in lots of different places. Put your favorite podcatcher there. You're going to find it. Go to www.longboxcrusade.com. You're going to find it. Check out Longbox Crusade on Twitter. You're going to find it. You know what? YouTube. Find it. I find, I find it. Facebook. Found it. <laughs> Instagram. Found, Found it. it. YouTube music. Yes. Uh, I'm, ah, dang it. I, <laughs> I got confused. Lots well, all those places. Come check us out. Just look for Longbox Crusade wherever you love entertainment. We'll be there. All right. Well, thanks, fellas, for joining me on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you like to leave a question or a comment on this or 
or any of the other episodes, feel free to contact the show at Twitter at OHMSPod or email at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Alan's Choice. But on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 007 Trap Remix by The Whittler. when I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all. That's all. <laughs> Let's give good advice for Jake. I, I, I was just, it was a very polite request that I sent out there. I didn't, I didn't make jokes. No, you were very professional, Jared. <sighs> Thank you. First time for everything. Good to see hurtful. Sounds Alan like we're again. all warmed up. I think <laughs> we're all snarky tonight. Damn! We're all warmed after up. I after I put him back on best friends without qualifications. I know. I heard. My thought overall before, like I, I could have been convinced that everyone just been flying high, giving it a seven. I would have let myself be influenced to give it a seven. So that pretty much tells you where I am. Right? A four. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was a call back to the fact. <sighs> you, you, don't, don't, don't come off of me and laugh at that. <laughs> <was> it? <laughs> it doesn't. Oh. It does not help. It does not help me at all. Thank you. I'm going to toss the microphone back to you once you catch it smooth. Here you go. What? I'm going to toss the microphone smooth. back to you and once you catch it smooth. Here you go. Like, well, like Jerry, thank you. Like the gun, Pat. That was, that was a joke. Oh, okay. Oh, catch it smooth. I hate you. I hate the show. I hate everybody. <laughs> I, I, I helped. It's not in the script. Not I you. I'm talking to, to Pat. Oh, I didn't know sweet. what to do. It's not in the script. Pat, I think Jared hates you. <laughs> yes. I'm yes. still helping. Really? It fell apart at the end. He's not so. really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go on mute. At the end, really? Yeah, no, from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. This happens to me all the time. All the time on SMT. Like, we basically run a clean show, and then every time it comes to, like, the Crusader comments and everything, off the rails every time. So consider this vengeance. Okay, now on mute. Jared. Where can that be found? At Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs> Son of a... I had a few close calls myself when I was the man from Uncle. I remember this one case in particular. Just say goodnight and stop living in the past. I can't help it if I'm a legend. Good night and good luck from Danger Theater. Write me and I'll tell you about my close calls.